Well, today's kind of a return to normalcy. Uh, I have not written a poem for this Sunday, so sorry about that. Um, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go listen to last week's sermon, which was really just a poem. So uh, today we wrap up our sermon series on 1 John, our series which is titled Living in the Light. And I hope you've come to see more and more how we are to live in the light. And, and that we're to live in the light of the fact that God is a God of love and a God of light. Today we finish where John finishes. He, he loves these churches and he wants them to be equipped for the long haul. And it's true for us too, isn't it? The world we live in, it's hard and it is harsh. So where are we to find our stamina, our staying power, our perseverance? Well, Let's read and find out. 1 John chapter 5, we are reading verses 13 all the way to the end, verse 21. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of God, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, your word towards us, these 66 books of scripture are a treasure trove. Uh, for your people. And we are in constant need of hearing and knowing and learning and being reminded of who you are and who we are in Christ Jesus and what it means to, to live and to walk on this earth, uh, not desiring the foolish things of this earth, but the desiring things that you desire and that we may reflect your glory all the more. So we need this passage and by your spirit may it be pressed into our souls today. Amen. One of my favorite Star Wars scenes takes place in episode four. Perhaps it's one of yours as well. Luke Skywalker and Han Solo, and they rescue Princess Leia, who's inside an enemy spaceship. And as they flee the Imperial stormtroopers, they slide down this long chute and they end up in an indoor trash dump. And they stand there knee deep filth and mire. And, and then this giant octopus-like creature begins 
attacking them. And even then, though, things don't seem totally despairing. That is until, well, you remember, the walls start pressing in and closing in. See, it's really just a giant trash compactor, and the walls are closing in. And there they are, surrounded by garbage and filth, and their future looks grim. There's nowhere to turn for help. Even the faithful C-3PO isn't responding to their distress calls. It's true, right? Often life can look like that. Not that we're ever stuck in trash compactors, let's hope not. But the reality of life is that we're often surrounded with hardship and sorrow, the stink and the filth of living in this fallen and broken world. The daily pressures of life can overwhelm us at times. We can feel helpless and powerless. The solution for Princess Leia and her rescuers came from above. Yeah, R2-D2 plugged into the computer system and shut down the trash compactors just in the nick of time. But for those of us who don't live in movie land, our hope can seem less certain. And so the question before us this morning is that we're going to address is an important one. How are we to have staying power, stamina in our lives? How is it that we may not just endure the hardships and the trials, but, but actually experience a little bit of that victory that we saw last time we were together looking at this book? Now, the answer isn't to turn to some sort of idol. John ends this letter by abruptly stating, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, an idol is any God substitute, anything like money or career or relationships. Any of these things that you, can, that you think are, is going to somehow free you from your circumstances. In the end, idols only let you down. The longer you live, the more you realize that. Um, but even worse than that, since idols are God's substitutes, they actually keep you from what? Enjoying God. But how then are we to experience staying power in this dark and difficult age? Thankfully, we have our text before us. Try, try to picture the turmoil um, that had been going on in these churches. Remember what we've been experiencing, that, that there's these false teachers who, who come in and, and they were trying to get people in this church to believe um, a false gospel. They, they taught that it really wasn't important how you lived your life, like sin wasn't really a problem because um, the, only the, the things in the body really don't matter. Only the spiritual things matter. So you don't have to live a morally pure life. And, and they also taught that, that Jesus wasn't really God in the flesh, you know, and that he surely didn't uh, die on a cross in a way that really truly matters. <clears throat> on top of it all, imagine the confusion within the churches. Just in, in addition to that, just, just what it must have been like to live in these ancient Roman times. Consider the, just the daily struggles to live. There's no modern medicine to help with illness or infirmaries. The, think, of, um, think of just how hard it would be just to keep your family fed. On top of that, consider all the added difficulties that Christians face. In Roman society, everything unholy was applauded. And those who were followers of Christ were ridiculed and belittled by their Roman neighbors. And, and yes, 
They were even at times rounded up and tortured. So in our passage, John finishes up this letter by encouraging these churches to experience the stamina that is theirs in the gospel. So what we're going to see this morning is this. We're going to see the provision of God that he has for us so that we may persevere in living out this gospel, living in the light. So we're going to divide ourselves under three headings. First, we were going to look at the provision of confidence, then the provision of community, and finally, the provision of commitment. The provision of confidence. How important is confidence? It's extremely important, right? Every good manager or coach of a sports team knows that when their athletes have confidence, they play better, they win more, right? John tells us that, Christ, that the Christian is to have the utmost of confidence. We see this first in, in, in verses 13 through 15. John begins by saying, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. John is writing to believers, and he, this whole letter has really been about instowing, instilling confidence in them. John tells of his purpose in writing the letter in verse 13. He says, so that, that's a purpose clause, so that you may know that you have eternal life. The word to know appears 36 times in this short letter. It appears seven times in these nine verses. Christians know certain things. Remember how this letter began? The Christian, uh, Christians know the truth and no longer live according to lies. We no longer walk in the darkness, but we walk in the light. We have come to know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and we know that he has come in the flesh to live and to die so that we may be brought into God's family. Now, in these first three verses of our, of our text, John does this. He links knowing that we have eternal life with confidence. What kind of confidence? But it's the greatest confidence you could ever have, the confidence before God to stand in his presence, to draw near to him. It's confidence to run into God's presence and say, Dad, I need your help again. We see this in verses 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Do not these verses speak of boldness? Because you are God's child, you are to have a boldness in your prayers. Twice John says that he hears us. This means more than that the fact that God's auditory senses are functioning. John is saying that God is actively listening to his children when we come before him in prayer. Do you believe this? He even says that we are to believe that he grants all of our requests, every single one of them. Do you believe this? That could be harder to believe, right? So when John says we're to have confidence to boldly ask anything of God, he is saying that our relationship with God is at the highest level possible. Does this make sense? Now, we must also temper our understanding of asking 
things of God with John's words in verse 14 when he says to ask according to his will. See, there it is. Often our tendency is to pray for God to conform to our will. Instead, our prayer, prayer time should be about us conforming to God's will. This can be hard, especially when times are difficult. Listen to this quote from Lewis Carroll. He says, I have had prayers answered, most strangely so sometimes. But listen, but I think our Heavenly Father's loving kindness has been even more evident in what he has refused me. Are you mature enough Christian to where you nod your head and say, yes, I agree. John Piper's devotional this morning, uh, in Salad Joys, he, he reads Hebrews 4.15, but um, about the high priest who's able to sympathize with us. Then he says, he says, I've never heard anyone say, the really deep lessons of my life have come through times of ease and comfort. <laughs> but I have heard strong saints say, every significant advance I have ever made in grasping the depths of God's love and growing deep with him has come through suffering. I think most of us can nod our heads to that, can we not? If we really believe God is who he is, then we should trust him with all of our life. He knows what is best for us, even when the walls are crashing in, even when we feel all alone, even when our circumstances seem out of his view. We must trust that he has a plan for our suffering. If the suffering of Christ upon the cross is part of God's good will, then we can know that, that we too can suffer and it be a part of God's good will too. Perhaps some of you feel as if God has gone from your light. Please know this, that if you belong to Christ, God may be hidden from your view, but you are not hidden from his view. With confidence, draw near and have your will conformed to his. So, John has shown us God's provision of confidence before him. Next, we see the provision of community. In verses 16 and 17, we see that our staying power also comes from God's provision of community. That is, those who belong to Christ are now part of Christ's body, the church. And as broken as the church is, and she's pretty broken, within this community, we are to find our staying power. But in order for us to see this in these verses, we need to clear up some confusion. John says that there's the sins that lead to death and sins that don't lead to death. What is he getting at? Let me first make clear, John is not talking about degrees of sin as if we can rank sins from not so bad to extremely horrible, but I didn't do that one. Um, and some others try to argue that John is arguing for two types of classes of sin, like inadvertent sins, like, ooh, I didn't mean to do that one, uh, and intentional sins, you know, you lucky. You're lucky I didn't get you. Uh, I tried to. Um, but if this is the case, I don't even think Peter would get into heaven, right? 
Jesus said to Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no way, Jesus, I will not deny you. But he did. And it wasn't inadvertent. He knew what he was doing. And so to you, if you're a Christian, you know what I'm getting at. You know the good that you ought to do. And you know that, unfortunately, so often you don't do it. And we can't just say it was inadvertent. So what does John mean by the sin that leads to death? Well, it's kind of a confusing passage, and, but here's what I think. Isn't it true that throughout this letter, he's been talking about two camps of people, those who walk in the light and those who walk in darkness, and those who walk in the light are believers, and, and God has given them new life. They're, they're, we are born anew, right? And in chapter one, John says that, that we know we commit sins, but we, but we go and we confess them to God, and the blood of Christ covers them. He atones for our sin. But then there are those who walk in darkness, and they don't admit that they're sinners. They don't even turn and ask for forgiveness in Christ. And so their sin leads to death. That is, it's an eternal death, an eternal separation from God. But those who walk in the light acknowledge their sin and trust in Christ. So... It's kind of simple. The sin that does not lead to death is any sin that is covered by the blood of Christ. Now, let's turn to in focus. Sometimes you're, as a pastor, you're like, okay, why did you put that in there? It's going to take like four more minutes of my sermon just to try to unpack that for people. We could just move on, right? All right. Um, John wants us to focus upon, um, he's writing to Christians who have forgiveness of sin, and here's what he's saying. He says we now live in gospel community, right? A community of sinners saved by God's grace. And we are to intercede on behalf of those in our community who find themselves caught in a sin pattern. John says if anyone sees his, his brother, this is it's idiomatic speech for a fellow believer. If anyone sees his fellow believer sinning, he shall ask and God will give him life. Now, here's where you and I need some uh, biblical ecclesiology. What's ecclesiology? Well, it's the, it's the study of the church. Um, and contrary to what many have tried to make the church into, the church is not a society of perfect people who are pointing at others to try to get them to come and toe the line with them. No, the church is the family of the forgiven. And as much as we might like to think we've got it all together, we know all too well that we don't. Daily, each and every one of us falls short of who we are to be in Christ Jesus. And so the church is made up of broken, needy, immature, emotionally unstable, and at times prideful people. And add to that, we're all in so many ways completely different from each other. If it wasn't for the church, we wouldn't know each other, maybe, right? But what we share is Christ and his ongoing commitment to our lives. Problem for many churches, including us here, is that our natural reaction when we see sin in the midst is to distance ourselves, right? Or to judge or do both. Or to leave everything in the hands of the elders, Whew, let them handle it, right? <laughs> See how that goes. John says, on the contrary, we're to intercede for our brothers and sisters when we see that they are falling into sin. And what is the result? John writes, he shall ask 
and God will give him life. That is, God will restore unto his children the, the goodness of life that is found as we walk in the light. Listen, and let this sink in. One of God's key provisions in your life is gospel community. You and I are broken, needy people who are often so blind to our own frailties and sin patterns. And so the, the very thing that God has given us to prosper and persevere as his children is so often the one thing we avoid. My friends, one of the core values here at Grace Presbyterian Church, if you're in the new members class, you went over this a couple weeks ago, uh, is gospel-centered community, one of our core values. This means that when others wander from the path and even, listen, perhaps hurt you in the things they say or do or don't do, we are to respond to them with gracious intent. And it means you don't just pray for them, but that you actually make peace. Listen, peace doesn't come naturally. In fact, naturally, peace erodes in the community. So peace must be made. Just as God made peace with us through his son, so too we're to make peace as his sons and daughters. Remember Jesus' words, blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. Listen, gospel community through peacemaking is Christ's way. This is how he treats us, and it's how we are to live together in community with one another. Gospel community is where you and I are free to be open and honest with one another, to share our burdens, to admit our sins and our faults, and to have loving Christians come alongside us to walk with us, that we may, be, that we may grow in Christ's likeness. Can you see how being active in gospel-centered community will help you with staying power? Makes sense, doesn't it? So God has given us the provision of confidence and he's given us the provision of community. Uh, lastly, we see that God has given us the provision of commitment. John wants to see our staying power comes from commitment. First, our commitment to God, but then even more so important, God's commitment to us. There's a, Christ, there's a commitment that Christian has that, that we have by virtue of our new life in Christ. And, and John says it in verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. What is the sign that you have this new birth in your life that God has given you graciously? Uh, you do not keep on sinning. Now, need to clarify that. Uh, we've already done this a few times in John's letter. Uh, John is not saying that a Christian stops sinning completely. <laughs> we know that's not true, right? Can't be the case. Um, no, the verb here in the Greek is in the present tense, which it means it's, it's an ongoing reality in your life. It's, it's a habitual, right? And so John is saying that the, that the Christian does not have the habit of sinning. We've been set free from that natural urge to, to where you just cannot help but sin. We've been freed from that. So the Christian really truly can honor God and please him, but then we can also sin as well. 
So the Christian, though, does not live in sin. By virtue of our new birth, we now walk in the light, and we like that. We don't want to sin. We hate it. We know that sin has marred God's wonderful, beautiful creation. And we've come to know that sin is from the evil one. He's not our friend. And we've come to pledge our love for God. And our desire is to, is to see him renew and restore this entire creation, including ourselves. And so we've seen how costly it is as well to receive forgiveness. God sent his only son. Jesus Christ died that we may experience forgiveness. It's very costly. So then how can we live in sin anymore? So the Christian lives with a commitment to God to walk in light, the light of his holiness and his goodness. We really truly desire this, right? Nod your heads, right? Yes, you want this. This is who you now are. Our commitment to God. But I hope you see something even more grand in this passage. Because of God's gracious commitment to us, it's because of that that we can live with commitment to him. How do we see this in the passage? Well, first John says that everyone who has been born of God commits to holiness. The Christian has been born anew. And ultimately, we've seen in the last few weeks that, that this is God's work in us. It's a gracious gift to us. As John said earlier, what did he say? We love because he first loved us. Please understand this gracious work of God on your behalf wasn't just something that he did for you in the past. It is ongoing. God's commitment to you is ongoing and it is everlasting. It shall never end. Your being born of God means that God has for all eternity himself to you. He's committed himself to you. Take a moment to marvel at that. Second, John points out an amazing thing in the last part of verse 18. John says that Jesus protects the Christian so that the evil one cannot touch you. What? Verse 18, towards the end. He who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Who is the one born of God who protects us from the evil one touching us? It's Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, the firstborn over all creation, who now sits on a throne in the heavenly realms where everything is under his watch and care and protection. He is the sovereign ruler now. Now marvel at this, John is telling us that the risen Lord Jesus is committed to protecting us from the evil one. Satan may tempt us, but he cannot touch us. And the evil one desires nothing more than to harm God's children. He wants to mess with our lives. John tells us that Jesus protects us from such harm. Remember Jesus' words in John's Gospel in chapter 10? He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And of course, you remember when Peter confidently told Jesus that he would never abandon him. Those other disciples, yeah, they might fail you, but not me. Remember what Jesus' response was? Simon, Simon, 
Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brother. Those very ones you thought were going to cave under the pressure. We have staying power because the risen Lord Jesus Christ is staying with us in power. John says, we may know this. Do you know this? Does this truth penetrate into your being? Christ has promised to protect you from the evil one, that you may persevere in faithfulness. Listen, the reason why you're here in church today, the reason why you're involved in the body of Christ, the reason why you keep pressing on is because Christ has been active in your life protecting you from the evil one. You're not alone. This is humbling, isn't it? <laughs> it's awful, also uplifting, too. Third, we know that, that by God's grace, we are set free from the power of the evil one. We see this in verse 19. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Interesting choice of words here, right? John says that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The world isn't even trying to fend off the evil one at all. It just simply lies there. There's no struggle. If anything, people are struggling against God. So John shows us, once again, with dualistic imagery, that, that there's a sharp boundary between the church and the world, between, between light and darkness, and between God and the evil one. As one commentator put it, the world is used to Satan's embrace. The Christian cannot be held by him. As you think of that, think about how that will help you to persevere. Think of the staying power that it affords you. Finally, John adds to this commitment by giving us, pointing us to our clear hope. If the world is experiencing disintegration and there are many aligned with the forces of evil, what hope is there for us in this world? John, John answers in verse 20 that, that Jesus Christ has penetrated into this world and, and he's worked like a saboteur behind enemy lines, undermining the systems of the world and reversing its possibilities. Once again, John says, we know, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. God has manifested his commitment towards us. The Son of God has come. We now understand the important truth concerning God's Son, that eternal life is found in Him. And did you notice how John said we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ? God's commitment towards us is that we have been united to Christ. We are in Him and He is in us. Talk about a commitment. 
Christian, as you think about all the ways God has committed to you, does it not make sense that we would keep ourselves from idols? That is how John ends this letter. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Our commitment to God makes sense, right? If God has given us these wonderful provisions, his provisions of confidence to enter into his presence with prayer and get every answer that he desires for us, his provision of community, a place where we can grow and be nurtured and, and also come alongside and nurture others, and his provision of, of commitment. Yes, we're committed to, to him, but he's far more committed to us. So why on earth would we keep on running to false idols? Or as he said earlier in the letter, to desire things of this world, to love things in this world. Why? It just doesn't make any sense. As we live on this broken world surrounded by temptations to bow to career or romance or retirement accounts, pretty much any, all kinds of other idols that are out there, how foolish we are to lean on our idols and not lean upon our loving Heavenly Father. When trials come and when God seems distant, John tells us to keep from idols, to not trust in any God substitute to rescue us when the walls are crashing in. As we prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper, let's really truly marvel at our Heavenly Father's provision for us. Maybe remind ourselves regularly that we've come to know the Son of God and He has given us understanding. We must trust that our Heavenly Father, that He protects us, that, that, that He shelters us. So may we seek his will and trust him with our lives. May we live in confidence towards God in prayer. May we live in gospel community with each other. May we really take that serious. If you don't think you need it, you really do. <laughs> uh, may we live with commitment to our Heavenly Father who is so committed to us. Let's pray. Father, it is true. You are committed to us far more than we're committed to you. We don't like that truth, but it is true. And that gives us great hope. It also calls us to a great commitment to be committed to things that you're committed to. Thank you that you are reshaping us into the image of your son, that by the spirit of heaven that dwells in us, we are saying no to sin and yes to righteousness more and more each day as we walk upon this earth as we as we live in the light of the gospel. May our church be a place that treasures gospel community. May we encourage and nourish one another. And may we be great worshipers of God who are alive in Christ, we pray. Amen.